This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, welcome back to the New Books Network. My name is Adam Bobek, and I'm a PhD candidate in sociocultural anthropology at the University of Leipzig. It is an honor today to have Professor Karim Rabi on the show. Professor Rabi is Assistant Professor of Anthropology at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Today we are discussing his new book, Palestine is Throwing a Party and the Whole World is Invited, Capital and State Building in the West Bank, which was published in 2021 with Duke University Press. Professor Robbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. The honor is all mine. Thank you for the invitation. I'd like to begin by asking you to talk about the city of Rawabi. Could you tell listeners about Rawabi and what it symbolizes? Sure. Um, well, so for as kind of the main uh, case study in the book, I studied a new town development project, a new city development project in the West Bank called Rawabi. It is... Um, it's a new city being built or, you know, sort of largely built now uh, that will eventually come to house 40,000 so-called middle class Palestinians at a cost of about a billion and a half dollars uh, when I sort of when I last checked. Um, and it is uh, it's this sort of massive undertaking, the largest kind of development and private development project in the West Bank to date. Um, it was founded and, and, uh, and, and sort of run by a real estate developer and uh, NGO guy called Bashar Masri, um, one of one of Palestine's uh, sort of elite um, elite figures. And you know, I started studying it because when I wanted to, when I started doing field work in Palestine, I wanted to do a couple of things. I wanted to see, you know, what Palestinians were doing to build Palestine in the present. Um, and I I was I was. I was there and I was seeing a lot of stuff that kind of clashed with with my understandings of what, what was happening. You know, like a lot of the literature on Palestine in, in popular and academic work tends to focus on, you know, um, the specifics of the occupation or the kind of like micropolitics of resistance against the occupation, things like that. And and I was I was there and I was I was in Ramallah and I was seeing all these practices that weren't sort of obviously resistive or resistive in the ways that I was um, accustomed to seeing them maybe or predisposed to seeing them, something like that. And I had originally wanted to study, um, you know, sort of the political economics of, of what was going on there. Um, I had sort of ideas for studying um, these plans for truck-to-truck traffic. So there, there are all these kind of NGO plans for, um, for kind of like stabilizing a West Bank market while also kind of accommodating the realities of the occupation by um, by doing sort of commodity circulation or you know I don't I don't even know it, how to put it specifically but like um, by by sort of having goods go through Israel back a truck up to a checkpoint and then another truck taking it into the West Bank and and that raised a lot of really interesting questions to me about like what the market is what sort of capital circulation and commodity circulation can look like in this context and like a lot of stuff in Palestine I found that you know there were concept plans for these things but like little movement there's a lot of energy and and maybe sort of development funding and things like that thrown at these projects with like with little sort of concrete outcome and you know and I, I was also interested in stuff like um like NGO projects for um, for sort of like uh, business training and stuff like that. There were a lot of there were a lot of plans for things like that. You know, as as is common in in other sort of contexts of of that are heavily dependent on development aid. And when I was there, I 
you know, this Rawabi thing kind of pierced the public consciousness. Um, you started hearing about it. You started hearing about it in the, um, the first annual uh, Palestine uh, Investors Conference, which I wrote about a little bit at the beginning of the, of the book, which also is where the title of the book comes from. Um, they started putting up uh, road signs, advertising road signs, kind of from Ramallah towards Biyazayat to kind of point to the place. This is well before there was any real sort of movement happening. And, and, and it, it raised a lot of questions to me about, you know, things that I was interested in, like what does, um, what does a West Bank market look like? What are, what are capitalists doing to, to shape and solidify the context in Palestine? What are the, what are the political economics of state building and, you know, the peace process such as it is there. And Rawabi struck me as, as a, as, you know, a place where you could see all of that stuff, you know, capital is coming in. I, I, I traced out things like how it's, how it's forcing changes in the government and sort of the way that the government and, and, and various ministries are, are running and are sort of accommodating projects like this, this one specifically. Um, I traced out how land tenure and, and, and regulations around land, land tenure are changing because of the scale of this thing. Um, and uh and yeah and that's 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 sort of why it struck me as a as a good place to see these things and i mean i think i think all these things are visible in 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 Rawabi, you know the influx of of capital ideas of class changes in law and land tenure with goals of, of sort of political stabilization things like that now what is it what does it symbolize or, or i think is how you, you put it or what does it mean to different people i mean it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people i mean for the for the people who are running it I mean, it's an opportunity for them to express their their politics, which are a mixture of, you know, a, a new mixture, perhaps, or actually, I, I don't want to say that, a, a mixture of nationalist politics and um, and politics around capital accumulation or goals of, of capital accumulation. I think for people who live around it, a lot of them find it sort of threatening, um, not that it's going to sort of hurt, hurt, harm them or or bring violence upon them or anything like that, but like the changes that it's it's making to, um, you know, sort of municipal structure, resource um, distribution among villages and things like that are very visible to them. You know, like I, I, I talked to to some people in villages around Rawabi who were like really aware of um, the fact that they're, like that the schools were gonna be private you know, the hospital might be private, things like that. Like they wouldn't be very accessible to them. Um, I think for, there are a lot of, there are a lot of critics of it. You know, you hear about it all the time in Palestine. Some, some, you know, anti-normalization and BDS activists are against it um, because they, uh, they argue that it is a form of normalization. Um, so it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, and, and it, it really circulates pretty widely. I mean, that was one thing that, that also struck me when I was doing this research is that, you know, for a while, I don't think this is the case anymore, but for a while when I was doing the research, like you heard a ton about it in, um, in America, in, in English language press and things like that. Whereas the sort of the, the discussion was more muted in Palestine in some ways. Why did you experience difficulties in researching Rawabi? Well, you know, I mean, I think that the, I think a lot of it is related to the kinds of things that I, I wanted to learn, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, I, so I was trained as, as a cultural anthropology, but, uh, excuse me, a cultural anthropologist, but also as a human geographer. And I, and I think that, like, I, I believe, and I, I hope I made a case for, you know, the utility of anthropological method and, and fieldwork for studying phenomena that happen at scales distant from people's lives. Like, I, I, I think that I, I sort of based my work in an interview method, but trying to sort of piece together all these all these things and, and kind of like triangulate around the problems, right? So I think that one of the difficulties is just, yeah, I mean like you have to sort of figure out how you want to how you want to think about or I mean to sound fancy for a second, I mean how, how you want to theorize like the relationship between, you know, stuff like flows of capital in people's lives, you know, you, that, that's, that's something that you need to, you need to figure out in the process of researching it. Um, 
and uh, and and so there's 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 that aspect of it. Another is that you know I was doing so-called studying up. You know I was talking to ministry people and I was talking to real estate developers and I was talking to people who maybe aren't accustomed to having anthropologists talk to them. Or I mean, one of the things that I that I found was um, when I first started talking to them, I tried to do the thing of like you know can I like maybe I could do an internship. I have like these sort of relative relevant knowledges and whatever and there was just there was no interest in that um from them um and so you find yourself you find yourself talking to people about information that they think is private or proprietary um that they don't want to share a lot of it is sort of um is obscure and i think that uh that i i faced problems trying to figure out what was going on because uh, because of that, and because a lot of it was happening, you know, at levels of, of sort of government that I sort of ordinary people don't really have access to. Um, and so what I what I ended up doing, I think, was was kind of triangulating around the problem. So like, if you talk to if you talk to if you talk to a bunch of people, and they're all saying sort of more or less the same thing, you know, some people are are like. You know, some people are interesting, some people tell jokes, some people whatever, you know, but like, let's say there's like a, there's a core of a, a sort of a rhetoric or something that you get, you know, one of my, one of my interlocutors who was a, a former employee there referred to it as propaganda. We'll, we'll table that for a second, but like, let's say you, you hear the same thing over and over again, you have the center of the thing. And then, you know, you can start to see once you sort of layer those on top of each other, the things that happen around the edges. And you can start to you can start to piece together what's important to different people on, you know, by by sort of like the exclusions from the central story or the, the additions to it. And so I, I ended up doing a lot of that, you know, and, and, and piecing together what I thought was going on. And then also, you know, hearing about things like, you know, this is the way that the changes in the land tenure went, you know, and then sort of trying to trying to chase that that stuff down. So, I mean, I, I, it was, it was a complicated story. Um, it was a complicated, basically, yeah. I mean, it was a complicated story. It's a complicated kind of things that I wanted to talk about. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe not always people want to talk about it in the way that, that, that I want to talk about it. So one of the things that I do, I do write about in the book, um, I have some stuff in there that, you know, I put in like stuff that was embarrassing for me, you know, and, and, you know, and stuff that I thought was funny or whatever. Um, and part of the reason sort of goes back to the, the, the anthropology and method piece, which is like, I did want to talk about what it was like doing this research, you know, um, just because it was really relevant to how the, how the work came out. But I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe sort of like undergraduates or beginning anthropologists read it and think like, okay, like these are the kinds of problems that I can anticipate. Um, so, so the reason that I put that stuff in um, is to show the process and to show the sort of like stop and start aspects of of field work because this this thing did also happen where like a lot of people were granted really easy access to the company, right? A lot of people, you know, undergraduates, tour groups, um, right wing Zionists, like people were, were 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 granted sort of easier access to the site or to the main real estate developer than I was. And, um, and that, that sort of struck me as, you know, partially like understandable that they're a private firm, it's proprietary, partially that like there's a story there that, you know, it doesn't benefit them if it gets, if it gets put together. Um, and so, so yeah, those are, those are the, the sort of main issues in terms of the, the kind of everyday stuff. And I guess sort of like a, a, a brief add-on to the the piece about method is that like I think that there's there's there are like these assumptions in Palestine about Palestine or in Palestine studies that kind of takes the occupation the terms of the occupation and separation for granted you know and and I I wanted to sort of like I wanted to I wanted to talk about what I thought was happening there that exists fully within that context right um but is but is not sort of like based on it in the same way you know i i think a lot of work on palestine is sort of formulated around the binary of occupation and resistance to the occupation and again sort of related to the the the, the sort of the first 
the first question is like, well, what what happens when there are things happening that don't look like resistance in the way that we're accustomed to seeing? You know, and, and that's what I what I wanted to to look at is like what's being built and what's the kind of like true appearance under the appearance, something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you you mentioned class, and I really want to talk about this because class comes up again and again. What is the role of class in this story? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that like what's happening here is a, is a big investment in stability, right? And a big sort of financial investment and investment of resources and time and energy and stuff um, in stability. And we have a middle class that's being that's being cultivated. Right. So I think one of the things that's important about about the Wabi is, I mean, really, basically, is just like its size, you know, the, the, the amount of sort of resources that it has mobilized is massive. And the fact that it's like it's a place um, is really important because it's a, it's a it's like a place where middle class people can be cultivated, can cultivate their own sort of identities and their own forms of aspiration. And I think that's one of the goals of the project and one of the things that makes it meaningful for people who want to live there, right? So one of the things that I tried to do, you know, I talked to potential buyers and I talked to supporters, and I think that there's there's a line of critique that's like, these people are sort of bamboozled, they're they're working against their own interests. And like, I mean, you, you've read the book. I mean, I think you, you my politics are, are, are more or less clear. I hope that, you know, I, I don't I don't think that debt is like an adequate form of national politics. Like, I, I don't think that sort of, you know, I'm skeptical of the claims that like economy building in this way is going to lead to national liberation, let's just say. Um, however, I think that I think that it's really, you know, valuable to people who 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 see this as an opportunity to see themselves living in a different way. You know, I think that it's, it's like, it's, it's completely comprehensible to me that people who have been living in really desperate circumstances, uh, will, will, will find this appealing, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see the opportunity for a new way of life and find it appealing and, and work towards it. So, so class, I think, comes in in a couple of ways. I, I think that like the big one that I'm, I'm sort of concentrating on is the middle class that I think is being cultivated. And I think in this context, um, and this is this is something actually that I that I I got once when I was talking to Moish Postone, is like he, he he's like in the, in these kinds of contexts, the middle class is just the debtor class, the class that can pay down debt regularly. And I think that that was that was one of the the sort of ideas I have here about the class that's being sort of cultivated or engineered. Another is that, um, you know, uh, Jamil Hilal, I, I, I quoted this, cited this, quoted him in the book, um, you know, he's talking about like, you know, the, the complications of talking about class in an environment where we don't have, you know, the same kinds of relationships to labor that we might see otherwise. I mean, I, and I, I, and I think that that one of the things that he hit on that I think is valuable here is that so th- is that class is a what does he call it a unity of cultural values I think is the way he puts it and so I, I think that like okay we can start to ask both the economic questions and the social and cultural questions about like what is the class that's that's being cultivated or emerging here and like how is it different how is it new how is it sort of relevant or enabling this this project. Um, and so, so those are the sorts of, those are the sorts of questions that I, that I had around class. And it's why, you know, again, back to the sort of the place part of it, the place piece, that's why, that's why that's important because, you know, ideas about social reproduction are really relevant here because we can, we can sort of, we can start to see, or, or at the very least ask really relevant questions about the relationship between you know, wider motor production and, you know, an actual reproduction. And I think that like that kind of, you know, it's, it's no mystery why, you know, why a middle class and a middle class place um, is going to have different sort of cultural values and forms of politics than people in, you know, more sort of desperate circumstances or more regularly subject to Israeli violence and, and so on. Um, I think that like, uh, I was, 
I told you before we before we started recording, I'm I'm sort of scatterbrained. I'm feeling a little bit sick, but um, I'm doing my best. But I, I was I was um, I was looking at this uh, this Stuart Hall piece the other day about Gramsci. I think it's called Gramsci and Us, and um, and he's talking about the the like the horizon of the taken for granted, and you know and 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 he's talking about hegemony, and and, and he refers he's he's talking about what it. Yeah, the horizon of the taken for granted, I think, is is a nice way of putting it. And how, like, you know, there are changes in formations and alliances. He talks about regressive modernization. But, but like, the things that are interesting to me are, are how new collective wills get, get fashioned, new historic projects get fashioned. And then, and, and, and back to the sort of the horizon of the taken for granted part, like that changes, that changes when there's massive investment in what can, what can people take for granted? You know, and I, I think that that's, I didn't really answer your question about class very specifically, but I mean, I think that like the sort of the cultivation of new sort of social formations and alliances on the basis of class, on the basis of sort of um, socioeconomics and economic aspiration is, is sort of the, the, the class piece here. I mean, then of course, we, you know, we have the, like the elites who are, who are benefiting and making, making tons of money off of it who are also interesting because they also have their own sort of sense of, of nationalist politics. Like they have a sense of nationalist politics that is, um, over, overlaps for them, I think very, very easily with, with, um, capital accumulation or with, with growth. Um, so yeah, so I think that that's, that's, that's the, the class piece, I think. Yeah. So in the introduction, you have this sentence where you write, that this is in large part also a book about the social and cultural logics of economic change. What are these logics of change? Yeah, I mean, well, I think that that's maybe I that's that's maybe an answer to the previous question, right? I mean, I think that what we're talking about is the 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 you know the horizon of the possible things, sort of understanding the context and how it change how it sort of enables and changes as a result in an investment in, in stability. And I think that that's those are the kinds of things that I that I I, I want to um, I want to I want to think about you know like what it means I mean in a real basic way like what what does it mean that people are people live lives in Palestine people live lives that are changing and people live lives in new places like this big housing development um, so so I guess that was a way for me to 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 put together all these different things. I mean, all these, these different phenomena at, at, at multiple scales that are sort of impacting, but in, in like very tangible and material ways on, onto people's lives. Um, and I think like place is important. It's also like, you know, the, 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 I mean, it's like, so, I mean, Frederick Jameson has this famous line and maybe it's not famous. I don't know. Um, this, this line about how, something like of all the i can look it up in a second but like it's it's something like of all the arts architecture is the has the most direct relationship to capital or like the most mm-hmm. constituent relationship to capital something like that um because of its size because of like the sort of the permitting regimes because of the you know because of its relationship to its state and land and land tenure and and whatever else and so like i think that it's a place where you can see all these things happening you know you can you it presupposes people for first, first of all, presupposes people are going to live in this place, but it's also it like it, it enables and it creates precedent for all these other kinds of political and social changes, you know. And that's why that's why you know this this housing development in this context is is like much bigger than just a housing development. It, it sort of it it makes these changes. It, it 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 allows people to attach aspirations and ideas to it in a way that like you know. It would be a different kind of conversation if we were talking about it in Chicago or at Leipzig or something. You have this other line that I that really caught my attention, which was that many histories of Palestine take Palestinians to be the objects rather than the subjects of history. Could you elaborate on this point? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, what I was talking about is not that different from from something that I mentioned before, which is like the kinds of assumptions that I felt are um, are present in a lot of work on Palestine, right? Assumptions about what the occupation is, what it does, how to study it. Um, I have this other line where I, where I talk, I, I quote a couple of um, 
a couple of different Omars. Um, Omar Tezdel uh, talks about this, uh, both dear friends of mine, both really smart geographers. Um, Omar Tezdel calls this sort of green lineism, and Omar Jarbadi talks about the school of occupation studies. Um, or maybe I had that reversed. But um, but they're they're sort of like they're worried about um, about these assumptions and about the the sort of like uh, the way that that sort of studies might be rigid or something, you know. And I think that like again, I mean, one of the things that I that I I tried to do was to just think about or try to understand what subsets of Palestinians were doing in Palestine. Like, I, I mean, I think that, I think that it was important for me to try to think about some of the critiques of, of, you know, capitalist development and not just sort of think about this as an imposition from the outside to think about this as a Palestinian class project. I guess we're back to sort of the class, the class piece of it, which is like a, a class project undertaken by, you know, the capitalist class to build a Palestine that um that 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 sort of privileges things like market stability or or um or opportunities for accumulation and so i think that like so i think that yeah i mean the occupation is 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 like quite obviously the context in which all this stuff is taking place right i mean it's it's the sort of like the set of institutions and practices and regimes that are that are sort of determining what can happen within the West Bank, but like a lot can happen, and I think that I I just yeah I wanted to I wanted to crack into those those assumptions and 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 think about what was happening among Palestinians to build up a Palestine in in ways that that aren't aren't immediately visible in a lot of the work on on Palestine studies. Now I think that's I mean I think that's changed a lot since you know since the time that I was I was writing this. Um, but that was that was sort of the the goal there. Is yeah what what are Palestinians doing to shape Palestine in ways that aren't just reactive, aren't just um, aren't just sort of resistive to the occupation. And I think this capitalist class struck me as, as, a, as an interesting place to see it because they, in some sense, see what they're doing as resistance. But I mean, it's not really about like national liberation or liberation for all or, or, um, or things that, you know, sort of I would support. It's about, it's about um, stability. And you said that that's changed a lot since you were writing the book. I think I I mean I think that a lot of the stuff that I had in mind that I was kind of politely writing against I think like I think that the people are people are sort of more uh people are like are like writing less in that vein maybe than I'm than I'm than I'm 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 sort of thinking of i mean i don't really want to talk about it too much because i don't want to like caricature people's views or i don't want to sort of like talk about work that i don't like by name or anything like that but i mean i think that i think that um i think that the the context is changing but then there's this also this this i mean sort of like the context is changing what am i talking about the context is changing and also the sort of like approaches to palestine have changed but i mean also like there's you know i i i have hit on sort of this this like significant personal problem which is that when this came out or when we were sort of like gearing up for the book to come out um in the middle of last year was also the sort of most recent big um uh you know sets of sets of settler violence and and Palestinian resistance in Jerusalem and, and all this stuff. And it, it became pretty difficult for me to, to sort of like think about how to talk about Palestinian aspiration and growth and capital accumulation in this context where the biggest story and the one that we, the most relevant one and the one that we all should have been talking about was exactly the sort of like the violence of the occupation and resistance to it. And I think that what I, what I, 
what I do in this project is to try to show the flip side of it. You know, I think that, I think that, um, you know, growth and aspiration in sort of smaller and smaller swaths of the West Bank and in around Ramallah are the flip side of the sort of like violence and displacement um, that Palestinians in Jerusalem face. You know, and I think that like, I think that the, the sort of like investment in um, stability and in the market in, 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 in the West Bank is, is a part of the same sort of wider set of phenomena. I don't think you can have one without the other, you know. And so I think that's that's sort of where I where I where I hit on. But I mean, but sort of like most basically, like I I just wanted to sort of like explain, not assume what I thought was going on. That's just that's sort of what I what I was trying to do there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. If I could interject here, okay. uh, there's one point where you really caught my attention in how to rethink this sort of framework. You, you write about in the book about years. And when I read books about Palestine or when I talk to my Palestinian friends, there are two years that really come up again and again, which is 1948 and 1967. Mm-hmm. And you don't really talk about those years very much. Instead, the year you talk about is 2007. And you make that really a central year in which change starts happening in Palestine. Could you talk maybe about 2007 as a year of change? Yeah, you know, like you're pointing to something that I think I, I think is like a, is like a totally appropriate grounds for critique of me and my work, right? Like I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, what I was trying to do, I think, is to is to like is to to think about a longer history of of sort of what what's happening in Palestine. And I think to that end, you know, I was I'm indebted to to especially to Shireen Saitali and to to sort of other of the the social historians of Palestine. And to think about like in what what are the ways that that capital capital accumulation or political economics have been relevant here. And I think that, you know, you can see a lot of you can see a lot of different kinds of Sorry, my dog is now wants my attention. Um, you can you can you can see a lot of sort of continuities, and one of my, one of my goals in reaching backwards was to was to was to think more generally, and to sort of push back against the narrative that like the only way to understand what was going on is because of the occupation, you know. Um, so so I think that like. You know, I I wrote a I wrote a piece um, for the New Left Review where I was I was sort of trying to do some of this, like reach back and do a political history of Ramallah from. I mean, they asked me to write a piece about Ramallah, but like from the Crusades to the present. And I mean, it's like I'm just trying to trying to sort of draw different kinds of lines. How how do I say it? Like to draw different kinds of lines of understanding or something like that. Um, I mean, 48 and 67 are like, are completely massive, right? I mean, they are, they are, they are the most relevant. They are, they are sort of like foundational and, and shape not only what happens in Palestine, but Palestinian sort of existence and Palestinian identity and the diaspora and, and everything. I mean, I don't at all want to, um, want to sort of diminish that. And I, and I don't think I do. And I don't think that's what you're asking. So, um, but I mean, like one thing that I, I could have been clearer about that um, the historian uh, Meznakato was was sort of pushing me on in, in a conversation not all that long ago was like there's this recent history that should have gone something like 2005 was the Gaza pullout 2007 was the Fatah and Hamas split which you saw severe sort of clashes and conflict and then Fayyad comes onto the stage uh, shortly thereafter and what what um, what Mezna said, and I think she's right, is that um, is that I ought to have done more to sort of emphasize that history of simultaneously geographical and political consolidation. Um, and none of it was new, 
but there was kind of a renewed emphasis in the West Bank at the expense of Gaza. And, and, and that's the context in which stabilization and stability talk uh, was resonant. Um, Mesna also made, made this really good point that um, the technocracy is not new in Palestine, um, is not a new current in Palestine. But um, the way she put it that I, that, that, that I, I found really interesting and, and right was that maybe Fayyad was a new kind of political figure. He was a technocrat that comes from outside of the PLO. And in a way, he was, um, he was someone rehabilitating the PA in the West Bank in that period. And so I think that that's kind of the context for change that I, that I want to talk about, because that is, that is the moment where um, I think the geographical and political consolidation sort of became more visible or more possible, and so too um, uh, capital investment in the way. And I think this is related to the, the, the previous question, which is that like, Again, that geographical consolidation is is not just about Ramallah, but it's also about um, it's also about inside. It's also about Jerusalem. It's also about sort of like redistributing people um, within the sort of wider context of the um, of historical Palestine. And so, yeah, you you mentioned Fayyad, and of course, you start off the book with a quote from Fayyad. Could you maybe tell listeners who who don't know who Fayyad is and what his role was, especially in regards to Rawabi? Yeah, I mean, I think he was just you know I don't want to put too much emphasis on him because there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sort of discussion of him, and there's this idea of Fayyadism that that comes from. Uh, Thomas Friedman, who of course is like a very stupid man, but I think that like what what where what we're talking about is um, is he was the prime minister that that kind of came came to came to the to the fore. Is that how you say that? You know, sort of became you know he's the guy that kind of oversaw these changes, oversaw these kinds of changes in the in the sort of the way that the the so-called peace process was going to run. And really, um, and really, sort of uh, uh, emphasized capital investment and the state building project. And the state building project was the idea that you know you could build a state um, in the absence of sovereignty, build an economy on the way to the state. And and I think that, that it, it really was about like market stabilization. It was about sort of stabilizing through economic practice. Through the kind of like the fantasy that you could disaggregate um, the economy from politics, and and so that was what marked his tenure as prime minister. Um, I think that, uh, but I think that you know he's gone, and 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 these these kind of these similar kinds of projects have have continued on. Like I don't I don't think that it's it's sort of his his responsibility for all this stuff, but like, but yeah, he was, he was the, um, he was the prime minister that came in, uh, from the sort of the development world and oversaw a lot of these changes, oversaw the movement to bring capital back into Palestine, oversaw the investment conferences and the sort of movement towards large scale investment, um, and things like that. And so Let's get into planning because planning plays a, a very important role in all of this. Could you talk about planning in Rawabi and Palestine more generally? Sure. Um, I mean, I guess the, the 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 reason that planning was interesting to me is is I mean, in some ways, it's pretty simple, right? Like this is this planning state scale planning is a big state scale endeavor. That um, that mobilizes tons of resources and people and energy and document writing and all this stuff, and it's a way it's a way to see kind of how Palestine is changing and how it's trying to be be master planned. Um, I mean, this is re- related to to Fayyad because one of the things that I did do is is I went through a lot of these national plans, national planning documents, and tried to understand what were the what were the sort of changes that they were trying to push through. You know, and 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 that's that's where I got a lot of the um, the things that I ended up arguing about about market building and stuff like that. You know, about about thinking about these projects as being about sort of um, geographical yeah geographical stability in the absence of sovereignty. And I think that like 
one of the things that's interesting about planning or you know future planning is like it's this it's this way of sort of thinking and operating and building towards some kind of a goal with the future in mind but like but you have this weird this weird problem in Palestine where one of the sort of central characteristics of occupation has just been deferral deferral of politics deferral of of um, you know sovereignty or self-determination things like that and so so you have this this weird way that planning is happening um, with like with sort of like a really really kind of like grayed out end goal you know and so so I think that like planning like state building were things that I was interested in looking at as ways of orienting ways of organizing wider projects of change something like that I think that like I mean, one of the one of the um, the response to the book has, has so far I've been very uh, very grateful has been has been has been good um, but I mean I, 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 I know of one person who, who critiqued it in a way that I, I thought was 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 strange like sort of accusing me of um, I don't like believing in state building or something like that you know um, and I, I I'm like I'm open to the possibility that I was just like not clear enough I mean I don't I don't think so but like I'm open to the possibility that it's my fault um, however I mean I think that like a lot of the uh, a lot of the things I talk about is like you know practices organized around state building you know this this you know, so-called state building project like things oriented by the state building endeavor like I, I always have sort of sort of caveats and words around it and I, and, I, and I think that like the planning and state building or planning for the state are projects that orient a lot of, yeah, again, like a lot of resources, a big, big endeavor that incorporates people, incorporates places and builds up something new um, within Palestine. So, I mean, I talk about I talk about the sort of the sort of state scale national planning and what it's what it's doing to sort of change the relationship of the state to people to development aid um i talk about like you know <clears throat> more sort of narrowly um you know planning for the new town development and the kinds of ideas that they have about about what they want there and what they don't want there and, and how it relates to the rest of palestine you know they want like um you know wider streets they want you know sort of like uh different kinds of service provision and stuff like that you know and they're like their planning happens in a in a, in a, a few different kinds of scales you know but I, I mean i think that the the thing that i was was trying to 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 think about were like well here i just randomly flip to a page i'll just i'll read a sentence planning planning for the future in the present consists of material ideological and rhetorical projects and practices to shape what comes next doing it narrowly within the terms of the present conditions of israeli control and palestinian quasi-sovereignty uh, orients those futures that might emerge its premise is the future but it can only mostly only function towards solidifying the present right so so i mean that's that's sort of what i'm what i'm trying to figure out is like the push and pull between uh the way that activities and possibilities are so constrained by the context by the occupation by the realities of israeli control um and and doing it with the sort of like the future in mind deferring sort of stability or deferring security or deferring um self-determination to a point that i think most people don't seriously believe they'll they'll achieve in their lifetimes you know um, and so that was that was why why planning was uh, was an important sort of object of inquiry for me. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know the answer. You know, I mean, I think that like that that these are places where I thought that I could sort of open up questions. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm sorry. For sure. And in the in the case of Rawabi, deferral is of course a very important word because as you point out in the book, it's it's not meeting the timeline that people have set out for it, right? Yeah, I mean I think that that's that's definitely part of it. Like it's getting it's like constantly stretched out. It's constantly stretched out. And I think that like it allows a sort of deferral of questions of like what comes next, what what happens when 
it's solidified. Like one of the things that that people sort of, especially critics of the lobby, talk about is like this thing is going to fail. It's not going to. It's not going to get finished. It's not going to get filled up. Um, and I don't. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I don't. I don't really. I don't really feel like I need to have a position on that, honestly. Like, um, it does or it doesn't. But like, but but one of the one of the questions that I wish I had a better answer for is like, what happens if you know what happens to people who take out mortgages to live in this place and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't get finished? I mean, I think it's likely that the burden for whatever comes next falls on them. You know, I think there's a lot of ways that like this thing is planned to to remove um, to remove a lot of the costs from the real estate developers. Let's say. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's one thing that, that, that I think is relevant there. The other thing is like the question of failure isn't success or failure isn't as, as I was going to say interesting, but that's not the right way of putting it. Like it is, it wasn't as important to me as understanding what these projects are doing. Again, what is planning doing? What is state building doing? What is it like, what, what it says it's going to achieve is like not is not the most important question. What it's doing is the important question, and I think that that's that's why the that's why the sort of like the deferral piece is is is, is important. The time piece is important because it just it, it lets them it lets them drag it out, you know. And it's but it's still doing a ton, right? Like it's changing the way land tenure works. It's changing the way that you know sort of capital comes in and is fixed in Palestine. It's changing what ministries are doing, you know. I mean, it's 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 doing a lot, you know. It's doing it's doing a lot. I was going to end with a very big question, but I'd actually like to end with a much smaller question. How did you come up with the title? That's easy. Um, the uh, the the title just comes from the investors conference, you know. I mean, I, and I think that like the um, the, actually, this this is this is funny because I I didn't explain it well enough in a in a sort of a previous iteration, and uh, one of the one of the editors at Duke was like, you obviously you have to explain this from the very beginning if you want to keep this title, you need to explain it from the beginning. I was like, well, yeah, you're right, totally. Um, but so uh, so it comes it comes from the um, it comes from the invitation to the first Palestine Investors Conference, which I opened the the, the book with. Um, and it comes, it's, you alluded to it already. It comes from, um, from Fayyad, the prime minister. And the last paragraph of this, this, this invitation is we are throwing a party and the whole world is invited. The conference, the investors conference is a chance to show a different face of Palestine, a Palestine conducive to economic growth and international investment. I welcome you. That's Fayyad. He welcomes us to Palestine for a chance to enjoy our hospitality and to learn firsthand that you can do business in Palestine. And I mean, and I think that the the title is like, I mean, I thought it was like, I thought it was funny and interesting. I hope it doesn't come off as glib, but like, I mean, I, I, I because I think it, it shows like a lot of the movement towards these kinds of phenomena that I'm talking about. It talks about, it's like, it's about, you know, a Palestine that's open for business. I mean, they use that language, right? A Palestine that's open for business. It's inviting people to come in and to bring, and to bring capital in and to help grow a Palestine. But you don't really get in that kind of rhetoric or in that kind of a um in that kind of a discussion, you don't get very clear discussion of occupation. You don't get a clear discussion of fragmentation. You don't get a clear discussion of of like what it what it really looks like. Instead you get the sort of again the the the, the fantasy that economy and politics can be disaggregated from one another. You know, and that, and I think that that's that's why I wanted to use that title um, because because it's 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 showing the kinds of things that I want to talk about. I mean, or back to Rawabi, you know, like in the at the end of the day, like Rawabi itself isn't isn't mega interesting to me. I mean, it's I'm not trying to do the kinds of critiques of like you know it's vernacular or, um, you know, or the sort of individuals involved in it, or what, I mean, although I do sum up both of those things, I mean, I, I, I want to I see it as a place where these changes are very visible, you know, these, these changes are, are visible, and, and you can see, 
you can see how people are working towards a Palestine that's 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 um, that's different. That's 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 it's possible for some people to live normal lives, but 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 doesn't really incorporate everybody, you know. And I think that that's that's what I was um, what I was what I was interested in. I mean, I think that like I mean, part of it also is. Um, I don't know how responsive this is, but it's on my mind, so I'll just I'll just say it. But like I think that um, you know, so I was I was reading in the the new collection of um, of uh, Ruth Wilson Gilmore's, and I was listening to a um, to an interview she did uh, a podcast or something, and like one of the things that she does that I think is 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 I mean she does a ton that I think is interesting and right, but I mean I like she she talks about how like. Critics like like her are also part of the, the prison industrial complex, and I think that like yeah I I mean this is the same thing with Palestine like we are also part of the same sort of mass of critics and representations and, and things like that. I mean I I hadn't heard her say that when I wrote this, but I mean I think that that like I struggle with that in parts too. Like um, I quote uh, Celine Tamati at one point telling me like. You got to be careful about this. Like, you got to be careful. Your book isn't just an uh, advertisement for the lobby. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I'm not that worried about that. But I mean, I think that, like, I think that, you know, he, he's he's right to say that, um, you know, like, what is what? I think what's behind that question is like, what is actually going on here? Like, what is the thing that's that's relevant here? Because it's not just this this sort of this housing development, you know. And I think that, like. Um, you know, one of the things that's sort of like this is again, this is again from Gilmore. Like, um, she's talking about the like the notion of a like the liberal notion of a sovereign individual means means like sovereignty over the territory of yourself, right? And I think that that's like that's really like a a, a really, I mean, I think some like really smart and concise way of putting it because like then it becomes it becomes really clear why something like the lobby is, is relevant to people or interesting to people, you know, in a sort of a context where like the settler imperatives are the things that are determining what's happening over territory, right? Like, you know, Palestinians don't really have sovereign control over territory. And, and so all of a sudden you have um, places and ideas and funding and whatever else that are emphasizing, you know, liberal sovereign control over the individual, you know, and giving a framework for it. Um, so I, I mean I think for like for the case of privatization in Palestine, it's it's really easy to see why this kind of thing is 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 appealing to to, to certain people or certain classes or, or people with certain sort of like class identities or or so on, you know. This this book is wonderful. I I really want to stress to readers that of course anyone interested in Palestine, anyone interested in in the national development of a Palestinian state is going to be interested in this book. But of course, you use your case studies so brilliantly to intervene in so many fields within economic anthropology that I think also anyone interested in economic anthropology, anthropology of development, anthropology of capitalism is going to really, really benefit from reading this book. There is a, uh, a tradition on the New Books Network that I always like to uphold, which is to end the interview by asking what you're working on now. Well, I mean, first of all, thank, thank you for the kind words. I mean, I, I hope so. I hope people uh, get something out of it. I mean, I hope they like it, but I hope more that they get something out of it. Um, uh, and that's, that's, that's very kind of you. I'm glad that you got something out of it and liked it. That's meaningful. What am I working on now? Well, um, I recently uh, I recently moved from American University in Washington D.C. to um, University of Illinois at Chicago, so I am beginning my first in-person teaching semester. Uh, Jesus, uh, day after Monday in a few days. Um, so uh, you know, I'm concentrating on teaching. I'm sort of settling in, meeting students. I, um, I was brought on as, as part of a, a cluster in, in sort of critical Middle East studies. So, I mean, I think that we have a lot of kind of exciting potentials for institution building and, and, and things like that at UIC. Um, so that's sort of the most immediate thing. Um, more beyond that, like I had this project 
that I am sort of stuck in my pocket from the whole time that I was I was in Palestine doing research for this, which is on Palestine and China. So for the last, I don't know, 15 years, maybe more, um, tons of people in Palestine sort of have, um, have this sort of like idea of China, like what's going on in China. Everybody supposedly has like a classmate or a cousin or a distant relative who's going and who's, who's opening factories supposedly. And there's supposedly streets and streets of Arab in, in China. And so I've, I've sort of been really interested in that for, for years. Um, in 2015 and in 2017, I went between Palestine and China to sort of do kind of like preliminary reconnaissance sorts of sorts of field work and it really struck me that like if this project that we were just talking about is about how capital comes in and is fixed in palestine then the next project is is kind of the reflection of that like who can circulate and why and i i you know i interviewed and and talked sort of informally to tons of people who you know who are going to China to arrange, you know, sort of commodity importation. Um, I talk to people who are involved in shipping, uh, people who are involved in chambers of commerce and things like this. And, and it really struck me that those people, um, you know, we hear a lot of these stories. You've, I'm sure, heard many of them um, about, like, the Israelis have held such and such in the port for years, you know, radio equipment, cellular equipment, whatever. Um, but these people um, really understand what that looks like. They really understand like the you know standardization requirements. They understand what happens at customs. They understand how shipping works, and they taught me some of it. And um, and I think they really they really have a lot that they can tell us about how the occupation works in practice and what the sort of market parts of the occupation look like. So people like me talk about you know the Paris Protocol, which is the the economic. Uh, agreement signed in parallel with the Oslo Accords. This is where you know the the stuff about uh, cell frequencies and aquifers and all all that kind of stuff um, was 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 signed, but like without any honestly real idea of what it means in practice. And I think those people were were, were really teaching me a lot about it. And so I want to study that. I want to study sort of commodity importation um, because I mean it, it it leads to a lot of really clear questions like, well, you know, what are the Israelis letting in and what are they not letting in? And so one of the obvious ones is well, they're not letting in any raw materials, but they're letting in a ton of small finished commodities, you know? Um, I, and, but then also, you know, I, I met a lot of really interesting Palestinian people in China. There are all these interesting um, diaspora, pardon me, diaspora populations in China who live there have lived there for different lengths of times and for different reasons you know there's there's kind of people who went in the 60s and 70s as part of sort of third worldist educational ties there are shabab who live around the embassy there are um there are people who do importation work um in Iwu and guangzhou and so those are the those are the, the the people i want to talk to so i'm i'm i've done sort of quick field trips some years ago i was actually really supposed to start it in earnest um, last calendar year 2021 but I couldn't travel obviously so I did some sort of some mapping work and some figuring out work and I and I hope to begin that project uh, for real soon I mean I have different iterations of plans that that I could do depending on what the sort of practicalities of my time and ability to secure funding look like and stuff like that um but uh but yeah that's that's the next project is the the china palestine stuff actually oh, i i should mention um i wrote a short essay about it that's going to be in a collection um that's being put together by the organizers of the palestine festival of literature um it's like it's in the sort of editing stage right now so i i mean probably next year sometime it'll come out um but it's uh it, on haymarket uh, there will be a short essay about about Palestine and China in that, and that's yeah, that's sort of what I'm what I'm gearing up for the, um, the the next part. I mean, I'm sure you probably could could tell from from reading this. Like I I I I, I like the research piece, and I like the sort of putting together the the big puzzle pieces. I think that's you know there's a lot of stuff in academia that I'm not good at. I think that's one of the things that I'm, that I'm good at. And so, um, so I'm really looking forward to doing the, the Palestine China work when, when it becomes possible. Um, yeah. And when the Palestine China work is out, I'd love to have you back on the show. 
I, I would love to do it again. The book is Palestine is Throwing a Party and the Whole World is Invited, published in 2021 with Duke University Press. Professor Karim Maviya, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.